0: Thanks for listening to Lighthouse Baptist Church podcast. Lighthouse Baptist Church is an independent, fundamental Baptist church located in Pleasanton, California. This message was preached live in one of our regular church services. If you find this message a help, please feel free to subscribe. You can find out more about us at our website, lbceastbay.com. Now to the message. Get your Bibles, please, tonight and turn to... Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 4. If you need the notes, just hold your hand up. I think everybody should have got them coming in. All right, everybody set? Good. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy, if you remember, is Moses' last message. Moses is just beginning, preparing to turn over the reins to Joshua. And here he's giving the last message that God's laid on him to give to the people as they prepare to go into the promised land. He himself was not going to be able to go in because of his sin as he smote the rock the second time when he should have just spoken to it. And God was letting him see the land, but he's not going to let him go in. But now Moses is speaking to the folks. So it's kind of preemptive. It's kind of prophetical as we look at the message tonight about returning from all these things. Returning. From all these things. So, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 1. Now therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgment judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Verse number 5. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that ye should do so in the land, whither you go possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, As the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him far. And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as this law, which I set before you this day? Verse 15. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Herob, out of the midst of the fire, lest ye corrupt yourselves. And make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that filleth the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth, lest thou lift up thine eyes unto the heaven, and when thou seest the sun, and the moon, and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole earth. But the Lord hath taken you, and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance. Verse 25. When thou shalt beget children, and the children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, And shall corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image, or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. I will call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land, whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, ye shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there shall and there ye shall serve God's the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. When thou art in tribulation, and all these things "...are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn unto the Lord thy God, and shalt be obedient unto His voice. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forsake, the, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which He sware unto you." Looking at verse 30 and 31, kind of the main thought for tonight. Verse number 30, "...when thou art in tribulation, in all these things..." are come upon thee. Even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor, th- nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. Father, we ask you to help us tonight. I have no idea. Lord, and none of us do what our state will be like, what our condition will be like tomorrow, much less six months, much less a year maybe from now. But Father, I ask tonight we put some things in the practice, put some guards on our heart that we would not fall away, that we would not follow after idols, we would not find ourselves in a state away from You. But Father, even just as important maybe as if we ever do, find ourselves away from You, find ourselves away under Your hand of judgment when all these things come upon us that we turn to you. So, Lord, tonight, help us learn tonight as you would have us learn. Help us put some things, as I said, Lord, into practice that you would guard our hearts. Let us leave from here in just a little bit, a little more confident in you, a little more excited in what you want to do in our lives and even in the lives of people who are already experiencing all these things, that we might see them come back to you as well. So help us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Here as I said is Deuteronomy is Moses speaking to the people as they're preparing to go into the promised land they're preparing to go into the land God had promised them and he's telling them that when they get into the promised land he warns them not to do something but that at the same time he tells them but you're going to do it anyway it's an amazing god knows our nature he knows what we're going to do but he says when you get into the promised land he said don't do it but he said but we're going to find out that you will in fact go deep into idol worship You'll stop worshiping the true God and you'll fall into idol worship just like the nations that are around you. And God will judge you, he says. God will bring all these judgments upon you. We'll look at those tonight just a little bit. He's going to bring all these things upon you, all these different judgments upon you. But at the same time, there is going to be great hope and opportunity. Because again, in verse number 30, it says, And all these things come upon you, even in the latter days, if ye turn to the Lord, and shall be obedient to His voice. He said there is an answer, there is a chance to come back. I'm glad no matter how far we get away from God, we can always come back back. Are you listening to me tonight? I know we're sitting in church. I know we're singing the songs. I know you're here on a Wednesday night, and you say, well, I'm all right with God. I'm at peace with God right now. Things are right in my life, but there's a lot of Christians who are not right with God, and all these things have come upon them. All these judgments, all these heartaches have come upon them, and they need to know that they need to come back, and they can come back. You and I need to know that if we ever find ourselves away from God, ever find ourselves that we've been involved in idol worship, if you will, and we've gotten away from God, that we can always come back. Moses' message here is preemptive. They're not gone into the promised land yet, but he said, but when you go, he said, you got to be on guard. He talks about taking heed. Boy, ladies and gentlemen, we have to take heed to our walk with God. We have to be on guard all the time, lest we fall away. And so it's being preemptive in there. And so we are going to learn tonight about this idea of returning from all these things. Maybe you've experienced it in your life. Maybe you just know some Christians like that, that have gotten far away from God. Well, I just... Stand here tonight, and as I began thinking about it, and as I was studying this, and I'm not preaching at anybody, I'm not preaching about anybody, but I've seen a lot of folks that have gotten away from the things of God. They were in the promised land. We know the promised land, though we sing about it, but in heaven. Oh, when I get to the Promised Land and cross over the River Jordan and get into heaven, that's a nice picture, but that's not the picture of the Bible of the Promised Land. As I've said many times, because we need to understand, because God spends so much time talking about the Promised Land, that the Promised Land for the Jews and for us is that successful Christian life. It's the life God wants us to live. We cross over and we go in by faith and we go into battles, we go into wars, but it's where God wants us to be, it's where God wants us to live, it's where God wants us to dwell. where God wants to use us. And so we know many Christians that maybe were inside that promised land. They were serving God. They were faithful to church. They did have a strong prayer life. They did have a strong Bible reading life. They were soul winners. They were doing those things. But because of things that got into their minds and in their hearts, they fell away and God brought judgment, in fact, on their lives. And they're experiencing all these things. I've known Christians, and again, I'm not trying to put a a downer on us. I'm just trying to help us understand that it happens. But I've known people in the judgment of God because they got away from God that they've experienced all these things broken homes. Broken homes. They got away from the things of God. They began to get involved in the things in the world. And it's not long before their home is broken, their marriages are broken, they have broken kids. I mean, when you take yourself out of the house of God and away from the things of God and take your family out, it's not going to bear well with your children and your grandchildren. They need to be in the house of God. Amen? They need to know and hear the things of God. They need to see you following God. But when we get away from that and the judgment comes and all these things, come on, the broken homes, the broken marriages, the broken kids, teenagers with all kinds of issues and problems, broken bodies themselves from drugs and from alcohol, and it just piles on. Maybe you've seen that in people's lives. Maybe you've experienced that because you got away from God. It just seems to pile up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you're not walking with him, it just gets more and more and more and more. And so that's what we're seeing here. He says, God says, when I bring judgment on you, he said, and all these things come upon you. And he says, come back. When all these things are come upon you, return to me. When all these things, all these judgments come, come back. So the lesson for us tonight, and I trust it's preemptive, it may not be, it may be something going on in your life now, but I trust it's preemptive that if you ever find yourself in that condition where all these things have come upon you, you your marriage is a mess, your home's a mess, your finances are a mess, your kids are a mess, your health is a mess, because you've gotten away from God, ladies and gentlemen, the goal is, the understanding is, come back to God. Come back to God. And that's what he says. When all these things come upon you, he says, still come back to God. So let me challenge you. When you wake up one day, and I trust you never have to, but if you do, and you're far away from God, you've not been in church, you've not been been used of God, you're not following after God, you're not praying to God, and you've got away, and you look around, you say, all these things have just piled on top. All these things have come upon me. Don't just say, I'm going to fight my way through. Come back to God. Don't just say, I'm going to hope for the best and maybe this will get better. No, come back to God. Don't think, don't let the devil tell you it's too late. Are you listening? Don't let the devil tell you it's too late. You come back to God. True, there's maybe some things that you're going to have to reap because you sowed it and things will never be the same, but they can be better if you just get back to God. Don't sit there and let the devil tell you, well, you tried it once and it didn't work. You once worked with, walked with God. You once worked in the church. You once were walking with God. But now look at the mess. God doesn't care about you. Don't let the devil tell you that at all. Just come back. So don't wait. When you find yourself there, return. Return even from all these things. So tonight we're going to learn what God tries to challenge him about Returning from all these things. I don't want it to happen in my life. I don't want it to happen in your life. But again, Moses is talking here. He says, when you get into the promised land, he's telling what's going to happen in the future. He's trying to give them some preemptive help. And so we're going to let God give us some preemptive help tonight about how to come back even after all these things. So here we go. By introduction, I want you to notice, number one, we're going to be reminded by God, like he was reminding them and us, reasons to obey. Reasons to obey. Listen, there's the key. The Christian life is primarily just obeying. It's obeying God, looking to Him, listening to Him, and obeying Him. And so he begins to lay out here in chapter 4 in this sermon, and God speaks to us, and he challenges him, gives him reasons to obey. Reasons to stay right and reasons to come back and get right. Very quickly, reasons to obey. Why should we be obedient? Number one, because God's desire to bless and prosper. God has a desire for us to bless and prosper. By the way, I'm glad God wants to bless us. We're not trying to buy off God. We're not trying to to do something so God will somehow miraculously do something. But it ought to be a desire in our heart to obey because God had a desire to bless and to prosper us. Look at chapter 4, verse number 1. Now, therefore, hearken, O Israel. He said, listen up unto the statutes and to the judgments which I teach you for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God Father giveth you. He said God wants to bless you. God wants to give you that successful Christian life, if you will. God wants to take you into the land He's got prepared for you and bless you. He says, so to do that, though, He says, listen and obey. Oh, we ought to say, I just want to be obedient because God's desire is to bless and prosper me. And I, God wants to do that. He said, I so basically God says, I want you to live right so I can bless you. I want you to be obedient to me so I can reward you. I want you to be obedient to me so I can lead you in the direction I want you to go. So God's desire to bless and prosper, if nothing else, there's a good reason to be obedient to God, because God has that desire. Secondly, a reason for us to be obedient is our heartfelt wonder and gratitude. A heartfelt wonder and gratitude. As he's reminding them about being God's people, by the way, isn't it amazing that we can be God's people? We can be His children. That's an amazing thing. Verse number 7. He reminds him how wonderful it is. He says, you ought to obey. He says, verse number 7. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh? unto them. He said it's an amazing thing. He said there is no nation. is there is no people like this nation and this people that has God close to them. So when we think about our lives, we ought to obey because just in wonder and gratitude that God is close to us. I remember before I got saved, I had no idea, no conception that you could be close to God. I had no idea that you could live your life close to to God. I knew that, yeah, there's some people, they probably read their Bible, and they force themselves to do some things, and it's just religion. Boy, it's not religion, it's a relationship. And he said, boy, we need to obey God. He said, just nothing else, because of gratitude and wonder in the fact that God is so near to me. We sing hymns all the time about being near to God. I hope, by the way, I hope you're near to God. God wants to be near to you. You draw nigher to Him, He'll draw near to you. So let's be near. But it's just a wonderful thing. I want to obey because it's a wonder and gratitude I have because of God's nearness. He goes on. Verse number 7. As the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for. So not just the nearness of God, but the hearing of God. Aren't you glad God hears us? I need to obey because not only because he's near, but because he hears. I call out, he hears me. I seek him, he's there to be found. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. The nearness of God and the hearing of God. Verse number 8. And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgment so righteous as all this law, which I have set before you this day? Just wonder and gratitude, not just at the nearness of God, not just at the hearing of God, but also of the word. Of God. It's an amazing thing. Look at that, verse 8. And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgment so righteous as this law? We've forgotten what made America great. What made America great was this law, was this book. Following the will of God, following the instructions of God, following the Bible. That's why there's scripture all over Washington, D.C. As you look through, there's scripture all up there. That's why they go ahead and still have you swear on the Bible. That's why they still open Congress in prayer, because it's a Christian nation. And what nation is so strong, what nation is so great that had these judgments so righteous? Just in gratitude of having the Word of God in our hands. But not just that, but also we find the deliverance of God. The deliverance of God. Not just the word of God. Not just with this gratitude of the nearness and hearing. But the deliverance. Look at verse number 20. But the Lord God, but the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be in him a people of inheritance as ye are this day. Boy, I'm glad for the deliverance. He said he brought you out of Egypt. He called that the Furnace. Look what he says? Out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt. Well, I'm glad for God's deliverance. Are you listening to me tonight? I'm talking about God's deliverance. The fire of the furnace, the iron furnace. That can be talking about hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. I said, that ought to make a backslidden Methodist give a little bit of a shout. I'm glad I'm not going to hell because God has delivered me from that by dying on the cross of Calvary and calling me and giving me the faith and letting me believe upon him and saving me and taking me to heaven. Listen, if there's no other reason to be obedient to God other than the fact he has delivered me from hell, that's good enough reason. He saved this old rascal. He saved this old sinner. So I'm not going to go to hell. I'm not going to burn forever. I'm going to be with him. There's a reason of wonder and gratitude to serve him I don't serve him to get saved I'm supposed to serve him because I am saved and wonder and gratitude he said he's delivered us from the furnace so that furnace can be the hell it can be that judgment after life place called hell he delivered me from or even from this life well I'm glad he's delivered me from the furnace in this life oh what a blessing what a blessing but not only that the deliverance of God the possessing of God the possessing of God. Verse number 20 still. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as you are this day. I'm glad I'm his people. He possesses me. He owns me. He claims me. Oh, my goodness. How in the world can I live a life contrary to him? How can I live a life disobedient to him when I know that he is I'm his possession. He possesses me. But not only is possessing of God, but the love of God. Look at verse 37. And because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought them out in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt. His love. We sing about God's love all the time. We talk about God's love all the time. But I don't think we understand what a marvelous thing that is that God would love you. That God would love me. The creator of heaven and earth, the one who's pure, the one who's perfect, the one who has no sin. He loves me. And because of his love for me, he died for me. I'm just saying I'm glad that I can go ahead and obey because I'm a possession of God. Because of the love of God. Because of all the wonder and gratitude of what God has done for me. Why do we struggle with obedience? But Moses is laying it out. He says, you got to obey. He said, when you get into the promised land, you must obey. And he gives some reasons for obedience. But I want you to notice, it's an amazing thing, back in verse number one, the resource for our obedience. The resource for our obedience. Verse number one, now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes And unto the judgment, so these are the things from the word of God the commands, the instructions, the the principles which I teach you for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it that, or he said, so you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. An amazing thing is the resource for our obedience is the word of God. The Word of God. Oh, we say, I want to obey God. We don't know how to obey God without the Word of God. Again, look at verse number 2. Verse number 1, he talks about teaching him the statutes and the judgments. Verse 2, ye shall not add to the Word which I command you, neither shall you diminish from, from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. In other words, I need the exact Word of God so I can obey the Word of God. He said, don't add to it, don't take it away. Why not? He said, so you can obey it. If we're in a habit of taking away from the Word of God or adding to the Word of God, there's no way we can be sure we're being obedient to the Word of God. I'm glad we've got the preserved Word of God for English speaking people today. Amen. God has preserved it. And he says he's given us this Word. I'm not to add or to diminish so that I can obey it. I can obey it. Somehow we think we'd be different than the children of Israel. God here is reminding them, Moses is reminding them. He said, you were there when you saw the fire. You were there when you saw the smoke. You were there when the Ten Commandments came. He said, you were there. You saw God moving. And we think, boy, if I saw that, I'd obey God. If I saw the fire on the mountain and heard the thundering of God's voice, I'd obey God. We've got something better than that. We've got the completed Word of God. They were just getting the big beginnings of it, and they just had a little bit of it. We've now got it all. We know how the Old Testament works with the New Testament. We know how the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us principles for the New Testament. We've got the completed Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the Word of God is our resource for our obedience. You say, preacher, how can I obey God? Read it and obey it. It's not that hard, but we must know that we've got the completed Word of God. I can't imagine trying to live a Christian life Without believing, I have the complete word of God. I can't imagine trying to live the Christian life saying, I wonder if that's really so. I can't imagine living a Christian life saying, I wonder if God really meant that. I wonder if God really said that. I'm glad. Well, Jesus put it this way. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now listen, if I'm going to live according to every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, I must have every word God wants from me that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I must have it. God's not expecting me to live something He hasn't told me how. God is not expecting me to do something He hasn't commanded me to do. I'm to live by the Word of God. And so we find, He said, listen, He said, you've got the Word of God, and don't add to it or take it away because you need all of it, so that, verse number 2, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments. Deuteronomy 12, 32. A little bit later in the same sermon, He says, and what thing soever I command you, observe to do it, thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Are you getting the idea God doesn't want us to add to his word or take it away? Boy, that's why when we read the word of God and study the word of God, and the word of God is preached and taught, we need to preach and teach all the word of God. Don't take anything away from it, but don't add anything to it either. Just the Word of God. That's why the Bible, for us Baptists and people that believe the Bible, it's our sole authority for practice and belief. It's it. It's, if it's in the book, God meant what He said and said what He meant. If it's not in the book, I'm just making it up. And we've got to live by that book. Don't add to it or take it away. That's why when we look at the different versions and translations of the Bible, if you look at the new, like the NIVs and things like that, if they're, at least they're honest enough, they skip verses. They just skip verses. It'll go down verse 36, 38, 39. You say, what happened to the verse? They took it away. I'm glad we've got the Word of God. Don't add to it. You don't put your own twist to it. No scriptures for any private interpretation. You can't say, well, this is what I want you to believe it says. No, it's just the Word of God. So we don't add to it or take it away. Either by, listen, by word or by our actions. See, as the child of God, we need to be obedient to all the Word. Are you listening? Say, well, I'm not going to cut that verse out of my Bible. But I'm not going to live it. You're taking it away. We must obey all the Word of God. He said, preacher, I can't do that. I know we can't completely, but that's why Jesus had to die on the cross for us. The law is the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But that should not excuse us from doing our best with God's grace and God's help to obey it. So the resource for obedience is the word of God. Preacher, how do I know if I'm obeying God? He gave us the book. Let's find it and read it. What an amazing thing. So God then gives us the challenge, if you will. He gives us this opportunity to obey, reasons to obey, and the resources to obey. So he tells them, obey the word. Now we're going to get into all these things. Very quickly, notice the corruption of idolatry. The corruption of idolatry. He says, when you get in there, don't go after idols. Let's look at Here's an amazing thing. God knows what we're like. Verse 16. Back up to verse 15. He says, Take ye therefore good heed. He said, Watch out. Be careful. Be extra careful unto yourselves. For ye saw no manner of similitude on the day which the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image. The similitude of figure, the likeness of male or female. And he goes about all the beasts. He said, Don't make yourselves some images. Don't fall down and worship those images. Don't serve them. Look at verse 25. In verse 25, it says, When thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land. He said, after you've been there for a while, and you've got kids and grandkids, and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything. He says, don't do it. When you get in there, don't do it. But he says, what you're going to do is when you get in there, he says, you're going to do it. Much like when God says he didn't want him to ask for a king. He said, but one day in 300 years, you will ask for a king. But notice what he says about this idea of idolatry. He says, corrupt yourselves. Corrupt. The word corrupt there means to decay, to ruin. Idolatry corrupts us. That's what he's saying. You'll corrupt yourself. Idolatry doesn't make us just a weaker Christian. It corrupts us. It doesn't just make us a poor prayer warrior. It corrupts us. It ruins us. It makes us rotten, if you will. Idolatry. Now here he's talking about idols of male or female, statues to, uh, to worship. He talks about beasts. He talks about fish. He talks about creeping things and all those things. But we know that anything we put above God is an idol. Anything we put before God is an idol. Anything we sacrifice more for than we do for God is an idol. It's a little quiet right now because we find ourselves having our own forms of idolatry. So the idea, if I put sports before God, that's an idol. If I put getting a car before God, that's an idol. If I get, have getting a bigger and nicer house before God, that is an idol. Uh, if I've got hobbies more than serving God, that is an idol. Are you listening? We have to be careful because it's, it's our nature to have idols. And so very quickly, notice the specifics we just read. This corruption of idolatry. I do not want to be corrupted. Yeah, this is what brings on all these things. This is what brings all these things. They turn to idols. He said, when you do, all these things will be added unto you. All these things will be brought upon you. Verses 16 through 18, we won't read it all for the sake of time. But he talks about those specifics. About male or female statues. And about different animals and all those things. But notice the temptation. The temptation. Not only did we see the specifics, but we see the sin or the temptation revealed. Again, verse 16, he says, Don't do it. In verse 25, they did. Verse 16, Take heed that you don't. Verse 25, But when you do. Look at verse. Let me find the verse I'm looking for. There it is in verse number 19. When he's talking about idols and you see the moon. Verse number 19. And lest I lift up the eyes into the heavens... And when thou seest the sun, and the moon, and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them. Notice the power, not just the propensity. The propensity for worshiping Idols, which is our nature. It's, it, we tend to do that. We automatically do that. We automatically put our houses before God. We automatically, if we're not careful, put our friends before God. We, it's our propensity. He so said, we're going to do that. But notice the power to do it. He says, lest you be driven. Driven. The word driven there means to push, to thrust, or to be forced. <laughs> what drives us to idolatry? He said, when you see the moon, when you see the sun, when you see the stars, and you've got all these things, he said, be careful that you're not driven to worship them. What drives us to worship idols? What drives us to idolatry? What drives us to put things before God? I believe it's the big three. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We want the accolades of man. We want the ease of the flesh. We want personal appetite satisfied. We want our own personal glory. It drives us. It drives... I don't know what idol that you struggle with. It might be that Cadillac you want. I had a Cadillac once in my life. When I bought it, it was about 15 years old. Nobody else wanted it, so I got it. But, oh, I liked writing. It was a smooth writing. How did I get on a Cadillac? Anyway. It might be a Cadillac. It might be a house. It, something we do. That. But we're driven to idolatry. We're driven to worship. it. So I'm saying right now, tonight in your life and in my life and in my heart and your heart, we have to say, what am I being driven to worship? What am I driven to that's going to put God above, that, that will, I will put above God in this? Will it be friends? Will it be possessions? Will it be whatever it is? It's driven. We have to be careful because there's a power behind that temptation. Very quickly, let's notice the chastening for idolatry. Here it is. He said, you're going to the promised land. He said, watch out. Be careful. Do not worship idols. He says, you're going to get yourselves in trouble. Do not do that. But then they did that. And then God brings on the chastening for idolatry. By the way, we saw it last week. God said he will not share his glory with idols. He will not. He will not share his glory with idols. And so they began to worship idols there in the promised land. And he began to bring the chastening, the judgment upon them. Look at verse 26. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. Then ye shall sue. When get, in verse 25, he said, well, you're going to worship these idols. You're going to get an idolatry. He said, now I'm going to tell you. I call to heaven and earth to witness against you this day. Here's what's going to happen that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land, until you go over Jordan to possess it. And ye shall not prolong your days upon it. So we find the first thing he says, this chastening for idolatry, for them and for us, he said, a removal from the land. A removal from the land. He said, you're not going to stay there. You're not going to remain in it. Your days will not be long in it. So when we think of ourselves, putting in a practical application, when we practice idolatry, in other words, God, I can't come to church because I need to go over here and party. God, I can't tithe because I'm trying to buy this new car. God, I can't serve you because I've got this hobby I want to get involved in. So when we put those things above God, and that is idolatry. When we begin to worship idol, we get removed from the land. Now, the promised land for the Christian is the successful Christian life. It's that place where God wants to dwell. It's where we're blessed, where we're used, where we're growing. He said, children of Israel, you're getting ready to pass over. He said, but when you get there and you start worshiping idols, he said, I'm going, you'll be out of the land. Well, I don't want to be. I once served, I once prayed, I once grew, but now out. So there's a removal from the land. I see Christians all the time because they get something before God. They're out of the promised land. They're out of that successful Christian life. So there's a removal from the land. Number two, there's a scattering among the enemies. A scattering among the enemies, verse 27. So again, I'm just, you're here in church tonight. Praise the Lord. This is warning us just like Moses is warning them. He said, this is what happens when you get into idolatry. Verse 27, and the Lord shall scatter you among the nations. So we find a scattering among the enemies. The word scatter means to dash into pieces so you lose pieces. Nobody here would ever do this. But I remember once my wife Carol had gone to visit her mother, and I was trying to help her do something. I was trying to do something in the kitchen, and there was that picture she just loved. Yeah, you already know the story. And I'm reaching up to get that, and down it goes, and smash. And I piece by piece and piece. I couldn't find all the pieces. They were gone. That's what it's talking about there. Scattered. Dashed into pieces. Not just out of, In other words, he says, you're going to be dashed into... You're going to go in by the enemy going to take you. He said, not only are you going to be out of the land, but you're going to be firmly in the world. Not only are you going to be firm just out of the land, he said, they'd be pulled out. He said, but you're going to be overtaken by your enemies. How sad it is when we get involved in idolatry. We get something before God we come out of the promised land. But not only that, we get not just out of the land, we get scattered into the enemy. We get scattered into the world. I've met Christians, you've met Christians, maybe you yourself have got something before God, and you've been out of the promised land, and then found yourself deep into the world. Look at verse 27. Even in the scattering... God is working. Verse 27, and the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. Notice he says when I scatter you, I'm leading you. <laughs> In other words, the word lead means to drive forth or to lead or proceed. So even in the scattering, God's leading. Even in the judgment, God is leading. Even in the scattering, God is working in their lives to put them in the place they need to be so they can come back to God. He said, I'm scattering you on purpose. I'm putting you with the enemy, on purpose. I'm driving you over there, on purpose, because aren't you glad God's in control, amen, in everything. So even the scattering is in leading. So what do we find? The chastening for idolatry. When we get idols in our lives, just like the children of Israel, there's a removal from the land, there's a scattering among the enemies, and there's a weakening of the influence, a weakening of influence. Verse 27, and the Lord shall scatter you among the nations... Ye shall be left few in number among the heathen. Be just a few. Not much influence. Not having any kind of input. Just few. I think that's what we see, why the church is so anemic today. We don't have much influence. There's not much going on. There's not many of us doing anything. but not just a weakening of influence, but a worsening of sin. Verse 28. And there, as you're scattered, as you find yourself in the world, and there ye shall serve God's, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. Wow. It just gets worse. Are you listening to me? It just gets worse. But that's God's chastening. Now, here we go. Here's the good news. Here's the clearing from idolatry. The clearing from adultery. I'm glad God wants us to come back. I'm glad God provides a way, even when we got to the place where we've got other gods before Him, and He says, I'm having to take you out of the land, I'm scattering you and leading you away, and it's just going to get worse and worse. He says, but there's a way back. But there's a way home. But there's a way to get back with me. Verse 29. But... If from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So here's a proposition. See, the clearing from adultery, the getting back out of adultery is a proposition. He says, if. If. He is, in other words, he's going to wait for us. Many of God's promises are just that way. It's, it says, if you do this, I'll do this. Now, there are some of God's promises. That God says, I don't care what you do. I'm going to do this. But in the case of this, he said, if you do. It's a proposition. If. He said, what what do we have to do to find the way out? How do we get clear? We find ourselves out of the promised land, scattered and smashed around the heathen, getting worse and worse, no influence. It's just terrible. But now I said, oh, how can I get back? He said, here's what you do. Number one, you have to properly seek. You have to properly seek. Verse number 29. But if from thence, thou shalt seek the Lord thy God. Before we look at the seeking, notice from where you're seeking. But if from thence, thou shalt seek. He didn't say, if you get right with me and get back into the promised land, then seek. No, he says, there in your mess, seek me. There in your far away from me, seek me. When all these things have piled up, when all these things, as that verse talks about, all these things are there, he said, from there... If you seek me. By the way, I'm glad I don't have to get right to start seeking God. I start seeking God to get right. He said, from thence. He said, from the scatter, from the loss, from the no influence, outside the promised land. He said, from there if you seek me. I'm glad I don't have to get right to get right with God. I just have to go ahead and start seeking Him. Seeking Him. Notice what it says. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Yeah, there's two seeks in there. Those are two different Hebrew words for seek. Notice what it says, the first one there. He said, if thou shalt seek the Lord thy God. That's search out. That's appearing. That's a looking for. He said, I'm looking for it. He said, while you're in that mess, why don't you start looking for me? While you're separated from me, start looking for me. Where is my God? Where is that one I didn't know? And we begin to seek him. The second seek is there where it says, If thou seek him with all thine heart and with all thy soul. That means to frequent or to follow after. To frequent or to follow after. So God says, while you're in that mess, start looking for me. Start peering for me. And then when you do that and find me, he says, then you follow me. You frequent me with with passion, with all your heart and with all your soul. So oh, the the proportion is we've got to seek him. Start looking for God. Start looking for how he's working. Start looking for how he's working in your life. Start seeking God. Where is God? I used to walk with him. I used to talk with him as we sang that song. Walks with me and talks with me. He said, but now I'm over here from thence. From thence. Don't wait until you get right with God. Don't wait until your mess is all cleared up. Don't wait until your family's put back together. Don't wait until you're out of jail. Don't wait until those things. No, from thence, seek God. Don't let the devil tell you, well, you got to work on it for a while. No, you just start seeking him. The clearing from idolatry begins with the proposition we must properly seek with passion. That's all our heart and our soul. Number one, we must seek. Number two, we must repent. We must repent. Verse number 30. When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God. The word turn there means just that. It means turn back. Repent. So we seek him, and we repent. We change our mind. We change our direction. I was going my own way, but now I'm going God's way. I'm turning. I'm going to Him. I repent. So how do I get cleared? I start seeking. How do I get cleared from my idolatry? I repent of my adultery. God, I'm sorry I put my house before You. I'm sorry I put my job before You. I'm sorry I put my flesh before You. I'm changing, God. I'm going to put You back first on the throne. And so we seek, we repent, and then obey. Verse number thirty: When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, all these things, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient unto his voice. Here's the problem: it takes all three—seeking, repenting, and obeying. Here's what we we want to seek, but I don't want to obey. I'll seek. And maybe I'll obey some, but I don't want to repent. No. If we seek, turn back to God, repent, and obey. Oh, let's make sure we're doing all three. And then we see the promise. The proposition was, seek, repent, and obey. And here's the promise. Verse 31. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. Aren't you glad God is merciful? He said, I'm going to go ahead and take you back. And notice what it says. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto thee. So we find the promise, based upon the, the promise is based upon the mercy of God. Out of God's mercy, not because I deserve it, not because God says, boy, I'm glad to have you back. I, you're the only one that could do this for me. I needed you back. No, no. Out of his mercy, he says, I want you back. I want you back. It's based upon the mercy of God. He will not forsake he'll not destroy and he'll not forget. Verse 30 When thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee. Well if you ever find yourself all those things are upon you you're out of the promised land. You're scattered and driven to the enemy and you've just gotten worse and worse and worse in your sin. God says, we can can take care of that. Seek me, repent, and obey, and I won't forsake you. I won't destroy you, and I won't forget the promises. Wow. And Moses is talking to them, and they're not in idolatry. He's looking ahead. So tonight, you and I need to decide God, with your grace and your help, I don't want everyone to get there. I'm going to take heed. So I don't. But if you ever do find yourself there, all those things upon you, come back. Come back. Let's bow our heads, please. Thanks again for listening to Lighthouse Baptist Church Podcast. Find out more about us at our website, lbceastbay.com. I hope you can visit again real soon.